Welcome to the Hyper Theory Podcast, where we discuss everything in relation to youth sports, youth athletes, modern day athlete athletics, the rate of progression for collegiate and pro development, politics, all of that good stuff. Uh, today's topic, the modern day youth athlete. What does the modern day youth athlete look like? Ultimately, um, the modern day youth athlete is overtrained, burnt out, overworked, um, treated like a professional. Everything that is thrown out there from a motivational perspective, from a uh, uh, um, practice perspective, engagement perspective, trying to get players to understand what it takes to play at the professional level, all of it is um, incredibly harsh in all honesty. And here's why I say it's incredibly harsh. The expectancy, we've put this expectancy on athletes that as soon as they jump into a sport that they have to be doing it to play professionally, right? Um, and if that player is elite, right, then that's essentially where you push them. And in a lot of instances, there's some players who, you know, may just want to play it at the highest level that they feel comfortable playing and then just being done with it. Maybe they don't have aspirations to play professionally. Maybe they don't have aspirations to be all over social media. Maybe they don't have aspirations to make millions of dollars, you know, kicking a ball around and, you know, the hassle of that. Maybe they just want to be able to play with their friends and they just happen to be incredibly talented, but they decide that they want to be a doctor or they want to be an engineer or they want to do biogenetics, whatever the case may be. Um, that is a real reality, but it's almost like as soon as your kid finds an interest in a sport nowadays, you know, we joke about it with the project Mbappe or project, you know, LeBron or whatever, where as soon as our kid picks up a particular sport, it's like, okay, now how do we prepare for you to go pro? It's like he's five, six, seven years old. Why is that a, a thing? Like, yeah, he loves basketball. Yeah. He loves baseball. Yeah. He loves football, soccer. But, you know, is is that a necessity? Does that need to be the main target or the main aim? Um, and while it is a worthwhile goal, you know, any any young person should aspire or, or dream as far as they can possibly dream. The reality of it is not everyone is going to make it. Um, and so I think the emphasis that, okay, as soon as you start this, you need to be overly committed, dedicated, oh, look at what Kobe's doing, look at what MJ's doing, look at what LeBron's doing, look at this, 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 look at what Messi's doing, look at what Ronaldo's doing. I used to have arguments with my father all the time because my father came from that same methodology to a degree um, where he was like, you know, you got to outwork the next man. And for anybody who's watched the um, the movie, He Got Game, um, Denzel Washington, Ray Allen, basketball movie, one of the best basketball movies ever made. There's a scene where he's with his son where he's younger. It's like a flashback scene. And he's on the court and he's like, you know, how bad do you want it? He's like, he's like, ain't nobody else out here. It's just me, you, and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, he in the gym right now. And that's like the motivator, right? It's like you're waking a kid up 10, 11 years old, four in the morning. And you're like, you know, if you want this, you got to get it. I had arguments with him simply because he tried that with my brother, you know, before basketball or have you. 
and I was very different, right? I had my own motivations. I had my own semblance of work, work ethic, and I didn't want to do it that way, right? I understood what I needed to do in order to reach whatever it is that I needed to accomplish, but that wasn't what resonated with me. Now, at the time, I was more mature enough to be able to communicate, you know, whatever it is that I needed to, but there are a lot of kids who lack that semblance of maturity or lack that ability to actually be able to communicate their desires or aspirations. And so the modern day youth athlete gets hushed, right? And I had to tell my father, um, and I'll, I'll never forget uh, what his face looked like, where it was like, he was baffled because I said, uh, it was at a game. Um, anybody who who knows this particular story, he um, we went to a tournament. Uh, at the time, I was wearing number six, which happened to be my father's number, which also happened to be my brother's number when he was playing basketball. And I was wearing number six. He was yeah, six, six. You got back post, back post, and he'd be yelling and screaming and yelling and screaming. And it got to the point to where people at the tournament would just yell out six, six. And that was so annoying to me. Now, granted, I've never been embarrassed in my life because my father is the most embarrassing person on the face of the planet. And you can't convince me otherwise. So I've never really had an embarrassing moment. And it wasn't that it was embarrassing. It was more so, uh, I wouldn't say insulting, but it was demeaning to a degree. Because rather than people know me for me, people knew me because of my father. And I wanted to establish and make a name for myself. And I wanted to establish and, and, and be in this because I wanted to be in this. I didn't want him yelling and shouting and screaming. It's like, and I understood as well that I didn't know the game as well as everyone else did. And I understood that in some semblance, he knew the game better because my father had been a coach, coach AAU, whatever. And my father is one of the best coaches that I've ever encountered. But that wasn't the way that I wanted to go about it. I saw I was there at all the practices for AAU, and I said, I don't want to do it this way. And I had to tell him, like, I, if I remember correctly, I think I walked up to him, um, and he's going to listen to this and he's going to laugh. But I remember uh, walking up to him, I think, in the middle of the game. And I, I said something in, in relation to, Dad, can you just shut up, please? Let me do this. If you want me to do this, if if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to learn how to play the game, let me play the game. Let me learn. Let me figure it out. Let me fail. Let me figure it out I, because I can't get better if you're constantly shouting instructions, you constantly whatever. We're having an argument on the sideline while the game is going on. Um, and not necessarily argument because, you know, my, my father and I have never really argued. It's always been open discussion. My father has been very good at, at um, allowing us to be able to speak our minds and questioning our thoughts and understanding our point of views and, and allowing us to express ourselves. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately I am my father and my grandfather's child. Um, and so that is how uh, I express myself at the time. And I'm like, let me, let me do me. I'm not, I'm not my brother. I'm not you. I'm not, you know, whoever else that you've coached. I'm me. So you're going to let me do me. And I said, if you can't let me do me, then you can go and sit in the car and watch from the car. My father shut up at that point, and he let me do me. Um, but that was what I needed. 
And a lot of your kids need the same. And a lot of your kids need an avenue to actually be able to not necessarily tell you to shut up, but need to know that they can accomplish this in a way that they want to accomplish it and that you're still going to be there to support them, whether they do it your way or whether they do it their way. And unfortunately, the modern day athlete is pushed towards everything that they don't feel comfortable with, right? Um, I was a product of a multi-sport athlete. Soccer is probably my third or fourth best sport, in all honesty. Um, and it happened to be the thing that I succeeded in the most. Um, baseball is probably my first, my my best sport. Um, basketball is probably my second best sport. Track and field, arguably, my, my father and I argue about this all the time. He's still upset that I didn't run track and field. Um, and it's funny, nowadays, I, I use a lot of track and field methodology in my training sessions. Um, so it's funny how that that circles back around. But um, soccer is like, that was the fourth sport that I essentially had picked up and really like ran with. And that wasn't until, you know, 12, 13 years old. You know, I played back in Egypt, you know, just on the street. But anybody who's uh, been a foreigner in a foreign country, the only place that they play you is goalkeeper until you earn your your stripes. But then if you're a good goalkeeper, <laughs> then they keep you in goal. That's just how it works. So that's that's the rule of it. Um, so a lot of time I'd be goalkeeper or I would just be a defender. I didn't get to, you know, and plus I wasn't really too interested in, in soccer at the time. Um, but as I grew into the culture and different things like that, and then I think it was 2006 World Cup, uh, 2006 Champions League finals first. That's when I became an Arsenal fan. Um, and then, or that 2006 run ultimately for Arsenal with the Champions League. That's when I became an Arsenal fan. Um, and then 2006 World Cup was when I decided I want to go for this. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was nowhere near as good as a lot of your kids are at the age of 11, 12, 13, or what have you. Um, and I spent hours overtraining, overworking in order to play catch up. Um, so I'm I'm well aware of what's needed or what's required in order to reach the level that you need to reach and 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 catch up. I caught up in a very very quick span of time. You know I was uh, didn't play organized until 15, 16, um, and you know within four or five years I was uh, in the UK being offered contracts from different leagues. You know uh, uh, Slovenia. Um, uh, Austria, uh, clubs in the UK, et cetera. Um, but I say all of that to say, again, I was a product of being a multi-sport athlete. And I'm not saying that every kid is going to have the capacity to do that, but we've essentially completely removed that from, you know, our, our programming here in the United States, especially. Um, and it's, it's not even more so just about being a multi-sport athlete, but being a um being being able to participate in multi-level activity right we don't go outside anymore uh physical education is non-existent pe class is non-existent um in most cases or situations or instances a lot of your kids have never played tag a lot of your kids have never you know climbed a tree a lot of your kids have never like jumped from stone to stone uh, stone to stone single leg um a lot of your kids have never done sack races uh, a lot of your kids have never done relay races, you know, um, 
I, I, I remember we used to do like community sport days, you know, where like the whole town would come out and, you know, they would have races and medals and, you know, all kinds of activities and, um, you know, kickball, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I don't see any of your kids doing that. A lot of kids don't even know how to ride a bike nowadays. So that should tell you a lot. Um, and I, you know, granted I learned late and that was again, because of my father, um, the way that he believed in, in teaching was very old school. It was just throw you on the bike and sink or swim. And funny enough that that's one of the reasons why I learned how to swim late, uh, swim late as well. Cause he, he would just throw you in the water. So I would never give my father access to the opportunity to be able to do that again. Um, I was a very stubborn individual. Um, and not necessarily stubborn. It's just, I wanted to do things in the way that I wanted to do them. And I wanted to learn in the way that I wanted to learn. I didn't want to be forced into something. I've never been that way from birth, apparently. Um, so the climate, what does the modern day youth athlete look like? Overworked, uh, burnt out, overtrained, underdeveloped fundamentally, um, not necessarily emotionally engaged with what they're doing. They're just there just to be there, but they don't understand why they're there. Um, tactically, uh, not as well. They don't understand the game um, as well as previous generations. They don't understand the whys and the hows. Um, and partially that's a part of the society, um, the coaches, the club environment, the parents, et cetera, but also that's part and parcel to you know, the, the, the modern age of social media and it's just too much information being given to you. So you're not able to sit and, 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 and understand you're not able to go through trial and error. Um, it's almost like, okay, as soon as I do this wrong, I immediately have to get instruction to fix this. Um, instead of being able to go through the grueling hours of, okay, I can't get this move. Why can't I get this move? Why can't I get this move? And you figuring out every reason, every possibility of how to do the move correctly or wrong. And we kind of take that out, especially with the one-on-one, you know, instruction and private training or whatever. We just immediately take that out and we don't allow kids to like figure it out and go through that frustration. Um, In addition to that, there's a lot of kids who are in places that they shouldn't be. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of rec level kids competing in, comp- in in the competitive phases and the travel phases. There's a lot of travel kids who should just be in recreational leagues and you can see it, uh, whether it's from a mentality standpoint or whether it's from a technical standpoint, whether it's from a skill standpoint, whether it's from a game understanding standpoint, you have kids who are starting every single you know, game and they're not good enough. Just point blank period you got players who are on the bench who are only getting five ten minutes you know two three minutes you know here there and they're not developing at all but they have the greater upside um whereas the ones who are getting all of the the game time you know are going to plateau quicker so the programming the progression for the youth athlete is non-existent the uh, full physiological developmental plan is non-existent um, in in a lot of circuits, right? Um, but ultimately, it's come down to the point to where uh, the modern day athlete is essentially a pro at eight, nine years old, and they specialize only in one thing. So they can only play that one sport. And the reason being, partially the reason, is a lot of them are in school. 
school is running from, you know, some kids are going in at 7.30. I know I have a client who has to be at the bus by 6.30. 6.30, class don't start until 8 o'clock. Now you're going from 8 to 3.30, don't get back home until 3.45, 4. And then now you have to go to training, you know, an hour later. Mind you, the nutrition still lacks in schools. Kids aren't getting enough rest. Taking the the taking more AP classes and honors classes and all kinds of you know courses and curriculums, <clears throat> they're not getting any physical uh, activity to be able to stimulate the brain in the proper way to reduce fatigue. Uh, they're not drinking enough water uh, or sodium or potassium to to gain better hydration. Um, they're not eating breakfast in the morning. So if they're not eating breakfast in the morning and they got to wait until lunch, that means if my client is waking up at 5.30 to get to the bus by 6, 6.30, she's not eating breakfast, which means that she's not going to eat, realistically speaking, for another six hours. And then she's not going to eat again for another six hours. So you can honestly say that a lot of our youth athletes who are being treated and trained to be pros are not getting enough nutrition. So they're malnourished. Um, malnourishment affects what? It affects, uh, especially fatigue. It affects the brain. It, expect, it, it affects the cognitive capabilities, which means that your child is unable to focus, which means that your child will then fatigue a lot earlier, um, which means that your child's decision-making will deteriorate gradually through the game. Um, all of these coincide with one another. In addition to that, because of their schedules, they're not getting much sleep. They're not getting a full seven to eight hours of sleep. They're not able to sleep in on the weekend because guess what? They got to drive three hours away to go to a game or their whole day is based off of training sessions or whatever. So now they're doing additional training sessions. They're also doing their practices three times a week. And then they're also uh, um, doing schoolwork, essays, et cetera, et cetera. They're basically being treated like college or professional players. And they're still developing, growing. So then you coincide that with their social life, hormones, et cetera. It's, it's a whirlwind of stuff that is collapsing on top of your children. And we're not doing enough to be able to rectify that. We're not, do, be, we're not doing enough to be able to help them succeed. We're putting them towards a pathway of pro, but we're not giving them nearly 75% even of the resources. So your kids are operating on 30%, 40% capacity when they could be operating at 100%. In addition to that, because of the market, because of what we want and what parents essentially have been begging for or believe, we've now created a market to where anybody, anybody, so long as you have the money to pay for it, anybody can have an opportunity at anything. Anybody can. So what happens? We then capitalize on that. We capitalize on the market. We capitalize on uh, parents. So now there's more cost. There's more demand. So now you have to do more. You have to travel more. You have to be a part of XYZ circles or you're essentially considered not necessarily a talent. Um, so now we're, we're pushing or forcing kids to be in places that they don't need to be, especially if they're not good enough. And a lot of them are not good enough, if we're being honest. Again, if we're being honest. Now, should your kid have an opportunity at, you know, figuring out whether or not they're good enough? Absolutely. 
but because we're specializing early and everybody gets in and there's no structure that says, look, you got to be at this level in order to be here. And it, we're just putting more clubs out there. We're just making more teams. There's more one-on-one trainers. Everybody now has an even plane or even chance at being able to get to wherever it is that they want to be. So there's no stabilization within the market. There's no stabilization within this environment or within this society. And so we've created essentially a free-for-all environment for all athletes. And not every athlete is equal. Not every athlete is equal. So what does that do to all of the kids mentally? It affects them. Because now, okay, if I know for a fact that I'm better than this player, but they're getting an opportunity only because they are able to fully pay for whatever in advance, Obviously, they're going to get more game time, especially if it's political or especially if they know the coach, the coach invited them, whatever, but they're not all that great, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So now she's getting all the game time. I'm lacking in development. So now maybe I have to drop down a division and people are like, oh, wow, she fell off or he fell off or whatever. No, they didn't fall off. They were just looking for an opportunity to actually be able to perfect their game. But people don't see it that way. And we've created that you know, illusion of, oh, you got to be at this level in order to be it's like, well, does your kid deserve to be at that level? And do they deserve to be at that level because you paid for it? Or do they deserve to be at that level because they've earned being at that level and because they actually can produce at that level? Like I said, the reality of it is a lot of them can't and a lot of them shouldn't be at that level. So without further ado, there's a couple of articles that I did want to go through. Um, this first article is from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, it was published by Thomas Caruso in December of 2013. The title is Early Sport Specialization versus Diversification in Youth Athletes. Once again, that is Early Sport Specialization versus Diversification in Youth Athletes. Title begins saying, the purpose of this article is to discuss the different opinions regarding the validity of early sports specialization as opposed to diversification, specifically the effect these two methods have on injuries, motor development, skill acquisition, and social and psychological aspects. The article begins, over the last 30 years, the landscape of adolescent athletics has changed drastically. Adolescents who participate in sports activities may find them enjoyable while reaping the main, the many uh, potential benefits they can offer. Sport activities promote self-esteem, leadership, and relationships amongst fellow, uh, fellow athletes or fellow teammates. However, the level of competitiveness in youth sports is on the rise, causing more competitive events at younger ages, specific training, and sport specification. Now, keep in mind, this is from 10 years ago, almost to date. Right, a couple of months shy. But this is almost 10 years ago that we're talking about this. And now we're talking about it now. So that gives you an idea as to how long this has been a potential issue, how long all of this has come to fruition. And now it's just gotten the worst that it's been. And it's only going to get worse within the next couple of years. The article continues, seasons are longer and parents are encouraged to sign their children up for organized club sports that practice and compete year round. In the United States, youth participating in sports has increased from approximately 18 million in 1987 to 60 million in 2008. 
Although more children are playing sports, it appears the multi-sport athlete is becoming a thing of the past. This raises the question, is early sport specialization or sport diversification the best way to develop youth athletes? Early sport specialization can be defined as intense year-round training in a specific sport with the exclusion of other sports at a young age. I'll repeat that. Early sport specialization can be defined as intense year-round training in a specific sport with the exclusion of other sports at a young age. On the other hand, sports diversification is the participation in a variety of sports and activities through which an athlete develops multilateral physical, social, and psychological skills. So let's break that down a little bit. Sports specialization, um, year-round training, just for one particular thing. And I know, especially for the foreigners, we talk about soccer primarily, football. Uh, I prefer saying football, but if I say football, then we'll think American football for all of our American audience. Um, but if uh, a lot of them talk and they say, oh, well, you know, Messi only played one sport, Ronaldo only played one sport, et cetera, et cetera. But look at what we're discussing when we speak of sport diversification, which is the participation in a variety of sports and activities through which an athlete develops multilateral, physical, social, and psychological skills. Meaning that if I go and I play volleyball, I go and I play in the sand or I'm running through the favela, it's different. It's it. We're developing uh, uh, motor skills. We're acquiring different skills, whether it be social physiological, psychological, and the reality of it is the modern American athlete no longer has avenues to be able to learn those things that they naturally learn through their particular lifestyles or their particular environments or their particular culture. And so that's what we normally discuss when we say, oh, kids aren't playing multiple sports. It's not that we want kids to be able to you know, play baseball and then basketball and then soccer I mean, there was a point in period of time where you actually could do that in some capacity, um, whereas now it's almost like, OK, well, if you aren't able to sign up year round, then you just can't play the sport at all. You can't learn the sport at all, et cetera. But we're talking about the ability to engage in an activity that helps an athlete learn and develop physiologically, psychologically and socially. That So like we said, that could be tag, that could be climbing up a tree, that could be canoeing, that could be swimming in the river um that could be skipping stones that could be um you know uh, uh doing flips off of a swing it could be a multitude of different things the article continues as the money in college and professional sports has increased the desire to train children to become star athletes has increased as well the purpose of this article is to discuss the different opinions regarding the validity of early sports specialization as opposed to diversification specifically the effect these two methods have on injuries motor development skill acquisition and social and psychological aspects title begins early sports specialization this article will focus on the following five par parameters to consider with early sports specialization Number one, early start age in one sport, early involvement in one sport while not participating in many sports, early involvement in focused practice, high intensity training, and early involvement in competitive sport. Arguments for early specialization have been made regarding expertise and skill development. There's a theory to, there's a theory that states the earlier an individual starts with purposeful practice of a skill, the earlier one becomes an expert at the skill. 
This seems to relate closely to the 10-year rule, which is a general criteria for teaching chess that proposes that 10 years is a sufficient period of time to amass the level of knowledge to be considered an expert. This rule has been extrapolated and observed in several activities beyond chess, including sports. Utilizing this theory, it can be concluded that in order for athletes to be the best at a particular skill or sport, they need to start early with skill development and practice very specific activities to improve their strengths and reduce their weaknesses. Sports that require an efficient, repetitive motion like golf, tennis, or swimming appear to have the greatest likelihood of employing deliberate practice for expertise development. However, many people throughout numerous sports have drawn upon, i.e. marketed, the theory of deliberate practice as a way to improve athletic expertise. The next title, Considerations and Concerns for Specialization. In an effort to make sure a child is ready for structured practice, certain developmental components should be considered, such as sport-related fundamental motor skill development, sport-specific knowledge, motivation, and socialization. I'll repeat that. In an effort to make sure a child is ready for structured practice, certain developmental components should be considered, such as sport-related fundamental motor skill development, sport-specific knowledge, motivation, and socialization. This means that before your child even steps into a competitive window, the main things that you should be looking at is how well do they move? How well do they know certain aspects of the game? Are they motivated to actually do this? And are they socially prepared to engage in the environment that I'm getting ready to put them in? Fundamental motor skill development should be trained to access success in the sport setting, including skills such as running, jumping, kicking, and throwing. If a child has an immature level of fundamental skill development, they may attempt to play organized sport, but the experience may not be as positive as if they were developmentally ready to learn the sport-specific skills. Having adequate levels of physical maturation or developmental age will help the children to learn the sport-specific skills that require strength and speed, meaning a lot of your kids are lacking foundation. If your kid truly had the foundation, and this is what we talk about all the time through our videos, if your kid truly had the foundation necessary and needed, just the fundamentals, from a motor skills perspective, from a footwork perspective, from a learning how to run, jump, move, approach, if they learn that in variety, in a multitude of different ways, we're not going to get into the whole injury reduction factor, but if they had that in a multitude of varieties, you would see that your kids will perform at significantly higher levels. And the reasons why your kids don't show market levels of improvement year to year or every two years or every three years is because it takes them so long to break them out of those habits and get their body to get used to and accustomed. And fun fact, if you teach a child or you teach a new motor skill in the wrong way, they will learn how to do it in the wrong way. So they will continue doing it in the wrong way. It will look completely wrong, but it will still be successful because they have mastered how to do it. It's almost like um, brushing your teeth uh, only one way. And it's like, that's not how you're supposed to brush your teeth. And you're like, well, this is how I've always brushed my teeth. That doesn't make it right. It's the same exact thing. Title continues motivation and interest. 
Knowledge that an individual possesses about a specific sport can increase their ability to learn the sport-related skills required to play the sport as well. The more they know about a sport, the more they will remember important points necessary for the performance of motor skills potentially. The process, processing skills necessary for learning, which are present in adults, are often, are often lacking or deficient in children under the age of five. Let's go back through that again. So the knowledge that an individual possesses about a specific port, about a specific sport can increase their ability to learn the sport-related skills required to play the sport as well. The more they know about a sport, the more they will remember important points necessary for the performance of motor skills, potentially. This correlates with why technically you see a difference between, especially for soccer, football, this is why you see a big difference in the way that Brazilians touch the ball versus the way that Americans touch the ball. And a lot of Americans don't see the difference, but there is a significant difference, right? We just said the knowledge that an individual possesses about that sport can increase their ability to learn certain skills required to play. And that the more that they know about it, the more they'll remember certain points. So it's easier for them to pick up certain aspects because they know the sport so well. They have such an enriched history with watching Pele, watching Zico, watching Romario, watching uh, uh, Danielson, uh, Rivaldo, uh, Ronaldinho, uh, Phenomenal, and then now Neymar. So it's always a drawback. Right. They have an incredible history of being able to just recreate. Oh, boom. I saw that. Boom. I got that. Boom. I got that. This is one of the reasons why a lot of kids who have watched basketball all of their life are able to pick up skills tremendously and be able to add on to it. And this is why dunking is so much easier now. Why you see kids who are 13, 14, you know, five foot seven, able to, you know, do windmills is crazy. Right. So the same thing happens from a soccer-related perspective. So the more that you're acquainted with a particular sport, the easier it is for that particular child to then be able to pick up things. As I said, the processing skills necessary for learning, which are present in adults, it's present, it comes with adults, are often lacking or deficient in children under the age of five. This is one of the reasons why when you put a ball at a kid's foot or in their hands, it's easier for them to be able to pick up these things. So this is why it's important to start to build interest and development of motor skills basically out the womb, right? It's also one of the things they talk about with swimming. If you want a, a child to learn how to swim very early, basically do it after they're born, um, you know, starting at a certain age or what have you, but, you know, put them in the water. They know how to naturally hold their breath because they've literally just come from out of the womb and that's essentially the same technique, et cetera. So that's the best time to do it. And the best time, especially for your kids to learn motor recruitment, motor skills, skill acquisition, how to move, how to jump, how to this, 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 start them off as early as possible. Um, Colson once said, nobody can't teach nobody nothing. This illustrates an important point regarding instruction. If there is no motivation to learn, then learning is not likely to take place. Sometimes the best indicator of a child's readiness to learn and participate in a sport comes from them express expressing interest in it. A child with friends and family who help identify them as athletic will provide that child with a greater chance of identifying themselves as athletic. Prior knowledge of these categories of sports readiness would be helpful in placing the child in the proper organized sport setting this will provide a better chance of the child having a positive experience. 
title continues growth and injury risk. So we're finally here. One key factor that separates young athletes from mature athletes is the fact that children are still growing. Constant changes in body weight, height, and muscle mass provide additional stress to joints and connective tissue. In young athletes, growth cartilage is present at the growth plate as well as the musculotendinous insertion. Growth cartilage is vulnerable to the stress of repeated microtraumas. For example, injuries common in youth baseball players are little league elbow or little league shoulder. They are both overuse injuries to the epiphyseal uh, growth cartilage because the musculotendinous unit may develop faster than the bone to which it is attached. This area can be more susceptible to Osgood slaughters or severed disease. And I know many of your kids are currently suffering through Osgood slaughters. That is essentially where the patella is inflamed. Basically, they are having those growing pains. Their knee um, is killing them. It's aching. Um, yeah, that's essentially what they're going through. Um, many professionals agree that the benefits of sports participation outweigh the risk, but not all. With this in mind, youth are encouraged to play sports at an early age, even though there is an associated risk of injury. It is important to understand the factors that can predispose young athletes to overuse injuries. So now they have a breakdown of a table, um, which shows, uh, predisposing factors for overuse injuries. So intrinsic factors anatomical malalignment, prior injury, poor conditioning, growth, uh, menstrual dysfunction. Extrinsic factors uh, would include improper training methods, poor technique, improper surface for practice and competition, excessive pressure from peers, coaches, and parents, improper equipment. I will emphasize number four, excessive pressure from peers, coaches, and parents. Yes, that can increase the likelihood of injury. Despite the overall health benefit of sports participation, any sport activity invites a chance of sustaining an injury. It's a given. The potential for injury increases as the intensity level and training volumes increase. So I know that there is a small demographic of people who believe that you are already predisposed to um, injury, which is correct in some way, shape, or form. However, the potential for injury increases. So you can reduce the likelihood of you being injured. I know plenty of people who have never been injured a day in their life. I am one of the very few people who have never broken a bone, thankfully. However, I know plenty of people who have broken five, six, seven bones before they were the age of 12 or 13 years old. So again, everyone is, can be predisposed to injury or can be susceptible to injury, but that does not mean that they will actually be injured. And the objective is always to reduce said potential. So the potential for injury increases as the intensity level and training volume increases. This supports the need for adequate recovery for youth sport athletes. Recovery for the youth athlete does not mean taking a child out of all activity. Adequate recovery could include remaining physically active during a break from that particular sport known as active recovery. It is important to provide rest from the repetitive motions that continually place stress on their body. Strength and conditioning can be an option when an athlete is considered um, a rest or is considering a rest from their specific sport. This can provide an opportunity for injury rehabilitation, injury prevention, and enhancing long-term health. So 
again, it is important to provide rest from the repetitive motions that continue continually place stress on their body. So when we go back to talking about sports specialization, we talk about just doing one particular thing in one particular way. You're doing that over and over and over again. You are literally putting more risk on the body of injury. It's just how it works. So it's important to know how to switch up your motions because if you're constantly putting the same blunt trauma, eventually it is going to gradually break down, tear, break, whatever. So if I start to switch up those motions, so for instance, if I am constantly running in soccer, et cetera, et cetera, but then I switch up and I do swimming, it reduces the likelihood of me messing up my legs because... I'm no longer putting blunt force trauma on my legs. So now I can take two, three weeks. It reduces tension. It reduces the likelihood of me being, or the likelihood of me tearing something, the likelihood of me injuring something. And then now I can reinsert myself. One of the things that they're talking about here is strength and conditioning, which is now becoming the more popular thing where you're seeing more youth or more strength and conditioning uh, coaches working with youth athletes. And I said this a few years ago, that this is where the market was going to be going, that it was going to get to a point to where every private trainer, private skills trainer, sports-specific trainer was then going to have a strength and conditioning coach on staff. And you're starting to see it more and more. And you're also starting to see more youth-based programs because the kids are overtraining. If the kids weren't overtraining or being overworked, there would be no need for strength and conditioning for youth athletes. If the kids were getting sustained rest, active recovery, proper recovery, if they were actually learning the fundamental skills, we would not have all of these strength and conditioning coaches doing youth programs. That is a clear indicator. So when people are like, oh, the kids aren't overtrained, if they're not overtrained, then why are you going to a strength and conditioning coach? Oh, well, he needs to get stronger. Why does he need to get stronger? Because he's overtrained, he needs to do another method of this, 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 this. That's how that works. The market will only give you exactly what it needs if you pay attention to exactly what is happening. So now, um, with proper supervision in a well-designed program, a youth resistance training program can improve body composition, increase bone health, and decrease injury. If an athlete experiences unexpected long-term decreases in performance without evidence of injury, this can be termed staleness and may be a result of overtraining. So I said this before, your kids overtrained, overworked, burnt out. Right. So it just says if an athlete experiences unexpected long term decreases in performance, and I can't tell you how many of you who are listening have reached out to me and say, well, you know, I don't I don't know why my child, she's not running like she's out of shape or he's out of shape. Oh, they're not out of shape. They're just they haven't gotten injured, but they're just they're having a decline in performance. They need to switch up their programming. And this is, again, what they said can be termed staleness and may be a result of overtraining. It is important for parents and strength and conditioning coaches to understand and be able to identify the symptoms of overtraining. And this may help to reduce the long-term effects of overtraining of a young athlete's body and mind. Now, article continues with burnout. Early specialization. Early specialization, because whatever I said prior to that was not English, early specialization has shown to be not only physically difficult, but also mentally difficult. Athletic burnout can be an unfortunate effect of early specialization in one sport. It can be defined as physical and emotional exhaustion from the psychological and physiological demands of the athlete's sport. I'll read that again. Athletic burnout 
can be an unfortunate effect of early specialization in one sport. It can be defined as physical and emotional exhaustion from the psychological and physiological demands of the athlete's sport. Burnout can become so severe that it can cause withdrawal or dropout from the activities that were previously enjoyable to the athlete. I want you to think about the last time your child was just like not engaged, moody. You're trying to tell them something. Hey, you got to pick it up. You got to. And they're just like, whatever. That's just their demeanor. They're emotionally exhausted, psychologically and physiologically. They're exhausted. And as it says, burnout can become so severe that it can cause withdrawal to where you're just like, I don't even really want to go to practice. How many times have you heard your kids say that? I, don't, I mean, I, I just don't want to go to practice today. Or like, do I really have to go? Or like, seriously, again? Clear signs of burnout. From personal experience, swimmers and divers who had success from specializing at an early age had a grayer propensity for their bodies to break down, causing a decrease pardon me, causing a discrete, a, a decrease in performance at a high level. Additionally, with the decrease in performance and the increase in injury, there was depression resulting in withdrawal from the sport and team activities. So worst case scenario with burnout is your kid will say, I need a break. I need a gap year. Can I just not play the season? Do I have to play with that team again? Well, I don't know if I want to play again. It's very, very real thing. Burnout. Title continues. We're almost at the close. Sport diversification. Sport diversification can be thought of as playing as many sports as often as possible. This method exposes children to a multitude of sports with a focus on playing instead of practicing. Again, focuses on playing instead of practicing. This method provides an environment that may nurture a genuine love for sports so that productive structure practice may follow. The belief behind sport diversification is that physical and cognitive abilities may develop quicker via playing multiple sports instead of just one because of a potential crossover effect from playing multiple sports. For example, instead of only developing hand-eye coordination as it pertains to hitting and throwing a baseball, a child playing, ba a child playing baseball and soccer can also develop foot-eye coordination, footwork, and running mechanics. A transfer in fundamental cognitive skills can occur, but is likely dependent on the degree of perceptual and information processing similarity between sports. The ability of a player to read the game or understand player movement and pattern configurations with proper visual cues will likely have a higher rate of crossover if the athlete is participating in sports with similar pattern configurations. For example, running and biking have a higher rate of cardiovascular transfer than between swimming and running. However, researchers examining early sports specialization participation uh, trends in elite athletes have found that early specialization is not an essential component of elite athletic development. I'll read that one last time. Researchers examining early sports specialization participation trends in elite athletes have found that early specialization is not an essential component of elite athletic development, meaning that you do not need to only specialize in one sport in order to be an elite athlete. Now, once again, this doesn't just mean just a sport. It just means the 
activity, the motions, the mechanics. Like we're talking about hand-eye coordination. Uh, in soccer, I need to be able to see the ball and, and coordinate that with my feet. I'm still tracking. Um, in volleyball, the art of tracking is also a thing, right? Being able to follow the height of the ball, the flow of the ball, how to get my body underneath it. It's the same thing, being able to control on your chest, being able to control on your foot. So why would me throwing a ball back and forth not help me develop speed, not help me develop velocity, height, et cetera? Um, same thing with jumping up for a rebound. Similar to timing, the timing and understanding the timing and the angle and how to approach and how to get your body between you and another player. Rebounding is similar to uh, jumping or leaping for a header, right? Gaining proper body position. Somebody is lobbing the ball forward to the center forward. You're the center back. Ball's going up in the air. How do I box out? It's the same thing in basketball as it is with soccer. We just completely view it differently. And again, I'm not saying that you have to literally commit to playing a sport, but the reality of it is there are a lot of benefits, a lot more benefits from a multitude of sports and the research supports it than just specializing in one sport. In conclusion with this article, early involvement in sports provides opportunities to develop gross motor skills that include, but are not limited to handout coordination, jumping, throwing, hopping, balancing, and running. Adolescent bodies are not prepared to be treated like an adult's bodies. I'll repeat that again. Adolescent bodies are not prepared to be treated like an adult uh, like an adult's body. Diversification in sports at an early age has the potential to provide stimuli so that a child's body can adapt and develop multiple motor skills that may cross over between sports. However, only once the mental, physical, and social aspects of a child are fully developed can specialization be considered. I'll repeat that again. Only once the mental, physical, and social aspects of a child are fully developed can specialization be considered. Meaning that you should not be putting your kids in competitive sports if you know for a fact that they are not mentally, physically, and socially ready to maintain that. Most importantly, early age is the best time to provide a stimuli so that your child can adapt and develop motor skills that will enable them to perform in a way that you would like to see them perform or that you think that they're performing at 15, 16, 17. We keep talking about it all the time. Your kids are not getting enough developmentally, whether that's from a skill standpoint, whether that's from a fundamental standpoint. There's no reason why at 16, I'm still having to teach players how to squat properly or how to hinge or they can't do 10 push-ups or they can't do sit-ups or pull-up or they can't jump on one leg. There's a problem. Parents and coaches have to keep this in mind when choosing the level of competition that is appropriate for the athlete. Once again, I'll repeat that. Parents and coaches have to keep this in mind when choosing the level of competition that is appropriate for the athlete. If the level of competition is not appropriate for one or all of these aspects, again, that is the mental, physical, and social aspects, the child may have a negative experience. Perhaps the most beneficial method is to allow the children to choose the sports they are passionate about. This way, they are less likely to experience burnout or reuse injuries while setting themselves up for a better chance of becoming a well-rounded athlete. Oh, let that breathe for a second. So, as we said, the modern-day athlete is... Ooh, 
modern day athlete is in for a long haul. And we know we understand that there's a lot that we need to do. Um, and the objective is to correct it. And the constant question is, how do we create correct it? How do we go about changing things? Most important thing is education at the end of the day. The most important thing is being able to see and understand exactly what the trajectory is, being able to identify what is truly needed, what is overtraining, what is burnout, what am I seeing? Is my child actually ready for this? Is my child actually able to do this? Is my child doing that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, does my child have these things? Okay, they don't have these things. Let me just take a year to give them these things. Let me take three months to give them these things. Let, let me give them two months to give them these things. This is why we're so adamant about your children having an off season so you can actually work with a strength coach and see the difference of, okay, they're coming in fresh. I just had a player the other day go away for vacation for two weeks, right? After spending 11 months, you know, working, basically working that was her job uh she was working uh on the field just running up and down the field all day long playing box to box playing full field playing tournament after tournament playing game after game working had 11 month long season trials right before she left she came back all of a sudden she was running around, she was jumping, she was leaping, nothing was sore, nothing was hurting. Every, everything about her was refreshed. Her mentality, her she was laughing more, she was engaged more, she wanted to do more, right? I didn't have to worry about like, okay, well, let's slow it down. No, she was going for it, right? Had a blast, all because she just took two weeks off to not do anything in relation to her sport. And we were able to do so much more in her programming. I was able to load up more weight and not significantly, but load up more weight than, you know, whether it was two and a half pounds, whether it was five pounds, right? Which enabled her to feel stronger, had her throwing stuff at me, which enabled her to even feel more strong because I didn't realize she was that strong, but <laughs> she tried to take my head off. These are the things that, again, allow your children and allow you to be able to see what your children are truly capable of and what their trajectory is. So one thing that I advise all of you to do, especially in this season, if you truly are committed to this season, you truly are committed to the development of your child, pay attention to these signs that we talked about today. Pay attention to the overworking, pay attention to the overtraining, pay attention to the to whether or not they have good hand-eye coordination, whether or not they can track the ball well, whether or not they can receive well, whether or not their hips are stiff, whether or not they're going through a growth spurt. Pay attention to all of those things, right? And mark down the time where you start seeing decreases in performances and then take them to go see somebody to correct their performance, right? Strengthen their bodies and then mark the time of how long it takes for them to start leveling out right where okay now they're performing significantly better because we did strength training for a month or whatever and then pay attention to okay it took eight games before my child started looking fatigued again okay so here's what i got to do better so now instead of me doing one month i got to do two months or i got to do two and a half so whatever the case may be whatever it is whatever it is that you need in order to be able to get through the season and as always you can reach out to me we can collaborate on the effort and figure out what it is that your child needs and I'm going to continue to talk about what your child needs, especially going into the next episode. And you're only going to be able to find this information pertaining to your youth athlete here on the Hybrid Theory Podcast.